Hey, fantastic fans. I have to tell you about the most amazing tennis experience I just had this past weekend at the Strand Tennis Center. I've been so hungry to get back on the court, and my best friend Jake invited me to his new club in Chatham, New Jersey, just 35 minutes from where I live in New York City, and I had an out-of-body tennis experience at this clinic. First, the club is impeccable, and I was greeted with free coffee, so, you know, they had me as soon as I walked through the door. (laughs) This strand has pickleball, cardio tennis, junior play, league play, you name it, and the owner, Stephen Capo, helped organize the most fun clinic. I had the best time that I've had on a court in as long as I can remember. It was so fun and so competitive. You've got to check out the Strand Tennis Center. Visit their website, www.strandtc.com or their social media on Instagram and Twitter at Strand Tennis to get more information for your next hit. Their motto is sweat, learn, fun, and you're going to walk away doing all three at the Strand Tennis Center. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. I mean, they always have a big mouth. They always talk a lot. So it happened before, it's going to happen again. It seems just like yesterday that our guest was making the finals of her very first tour-level WTA tournament in Tashkent, back in 2012 at just 16 years old. In that match, she became the youngest player in six years to make a tour final, and she's continued to be a force on the WTA tour still 10 years later. Born in Osijek, Croatia, a country made famous by Grand Slam champions such as Majoli, Ivanisevic, and Cilic, she continued the strong tradition of Croatian tennis by winning the first of three career singles titles in 2014 in Kuala Lumpur, by defeating the amazing Dominika Sibokova, 7-6 in the third, during a memorable rumble to capture her first WTA singles title. As a classic all-court player, she's made at least the fourth round of each Grand Slam, including her masterful 2019 run to the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open, which would then propel her to an elite club of players that have reached the top 20 in the world rankings. She has career wins over former world number ones and legends like Vika Azarenka, Anna Ivanovic, Garbine Muguruza, and she'll forever be the answer to the trivia question, who was the last player to ever defeat Maria Sharapova? She's here today to talk about a career that may have started with the smell of success, but has now since expanded to strawberries, champagne, patchouli, and mango, as she's launched her very own line of luxury fragrances and candles that are the new hot ticket item of the season. Because who in the world doesn't love a scented candle? Our guest today is the fantastic Donna Vekic. Donna, welcome to Fantastic Tennis. Hi, thank you. That's very nice, uh, nice intro. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. I can't wait to talk about some of these things today. I've been such a big fan of your game, Donna, for a long time and your style. And uh, when I was researching your career, which again, I can't wait to talk about, I literally had to look at your match history because this year marks a 10-year anniversary of that Tashkent final. Can you believe that? I mean, it's unbelievable, Donna. No, yeah, that's crazy. And actually, I know that because this Australian Open was my 10th Australian Open. And I was like, oh my God, this is insane. (laughs) (laughs) I saw you post on Instagram. It was your 10th Australian. And I was like, 10 years on tour already for Donna Vekic? Sometimes tennis is like dog years. I'm guessing it feels like it goes pretty quickly. Or maybe you feel like you've been playing 20 years. I don't know. 
it definitely feels like I've been playing 20 years. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've been around for a while. <laughs> You've done things really that tennis players dream of doing. You've made at least the fourth round of all Grand Slams. You've won titles. You've beaten former number ones. Do you feel like a veteran right now in this point of your career? Definitely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Especially with all these young girls coming up. I feel like I'm one of the older girls on tour, but, you know, I still have a couple of good years ahead of me. And, you know, I, I would not want to go back in time, to be honest. I'm happy where I am. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. We'll go back in time a little bit today because we're going to talk about your amazing career. But you finished your 2021 season by winning your third WTA singles title. And I bet that title felt even more special because you took half the year off last year after knee surgery. We're going to talk about that great comeback a little bit later as well. But the good news is for 2022 for you is that it's going to be one of those years where you can just play freely and you don't have to defend any points until the grass season. So this is going to be a feel good year for you. I'm feeling the positive vibes today. We're starting this off okay. with a good note. Okay. <laughs> you have a fan on Instagram, Donna WTA chat. He says, congrats on a great end to 2021. And he wonders what aspect of your game have you been working on the most since you started your retraining after surgery? And what are some important goals you have for the 2022 season? Well, I was working a lot to have even more variety in my game, to be able to mix it up with some uh, higher toe spin balls, with some, I always love a good drop shot. I kept that part, but, and also in a way to be more aggressive, try to make the points shorter because the year was tough. And with my knee and everything, I played a lot of the year with pain in my knee and not being able to move so well. So I had to keep the points um, pretty short, as short as I could. Yeah, that's good. I mean, you got to mix it up, right? You're 25 now. I mean, yeah, you're like, uh, <laughs> you're still a baby too. Oh, uh, wow. Well, Donna, if your title run in Italy was any indication of the form you're going to have this season, it's going to be an epic year for you. It really is. And speaking of epic, we have a very fun show planned today. It's about time we all get to know the fantastic Donna Vekic. You probably already know this, but the name Donna is a very typical American name too. Do you know how you were named Donna? Do you, did you ever ask your parents? It's actually a very Italian name. Yeah. It's definitely not Croatian name, but my dad actually named me Donna. And I think he was a fan of Madonna. <laughs> and that's, <laughs> that's how it kind of uh, came along. <laughs> that was so funny. I was thinking today, I was like, is this the most famous Donna in the world right now? Like this, you know, I can't think of another Don. I mean, Madonna. I don't think that counts, but is there another, can you name another Donna? in the world? Uh, Donna Summer. Okay, Donna Summer. Yeah, that's a good one. Well, she's dead. I mean, but amazing. I mean, I think you're the most famous living Donna. Okay, that's good. <laughs> I mean, I love Donna Summer. I mean, that, I mean, that first thing that comes to mind is Donna. Maybe Donna Karen. Maybe. Okay, I just thought of one. Yeah. Okay. But you're right up there, Donna. You're right up there. Thank you. Thank you. What about it? There's, wait, there's Donna from Suits. Does that count? Oh, it does. Actually, do you watch 90210? No. No? Oh, okay. Donna Martin. Tori Spelling was pretty famous too. I mean, that's another one. Well, we're starting the show with at least one of the most famous Donnas in the world today, at least. So I've compiled the most popular topics that your fans want answers to, Donna Vekic. The topics range today from the beginning of your career all the way to your life today. Okay. So we're going to start with topic number one, and it's your start in the crazy sports that we all love. Can I ask you what the very first match you remember watching live or on television was? Ooh. I know. Sorry. Um, live, I think it was Maria Sharapova against Patty Schneider. Oh. Schneider or Schneider. Yeah. It was in... I think it was in Linz. I'm not 100% sure, 
But when we were really young, we, we went to Austria to, to look at dogs because I really wanted a dog. I was bothering my parents for two years about it. And then they finally gave in and they were like, okay, let's go see some. So we went to see dogs. And on the way back, we stopped to watch a match. Oh my gosh. Did you get the dog? Yeah, we got a dog, of course. What kind of dog is it? It was a Parson Russell. It is a Parson Russell Terrier and he's still alive. He is 15 years old. Oh my gosh. What's his name? Hick. So that was when I was uh, 10 years old. Yeah. All right. Well, great story. You know, you got Sharapovi, you got Schneider and you got Hick. I mean, you can't go wrong there. <laughs> you come from a big sporting family, Donna. I read your dad was a footballer. Your mom was a track and field hurdler. So the genes were there. How did you end up playing tennis? I actually started with gymnastics when I was four for two years. And then I was like, okay, I'm just going to try something else. And there was a, a school starting at a local club and I joined and it was, uh, it was the beginning of something beautiful. <laughs> the passion. Yeah, already the passion. I mean, at what point did you fall in love? Do you remember falling in love with tennis? I just wondered because there's so many people that would love to be a pro tennis player and it takes a while to get to that level. I mean, was there a moment where you said, okay, this is exactly what I want to do. Do you remember that moment? You know, when I was younger, I wouldn't say I really like loved tennis. I just loved competing and trying to beat whoever I was playing against. Even in practice, I wanted to be the best. So that's what kind of got me into it. But I feel like now, the, the older I am, the more love I have for the actual game. Yeah. Of course, the competitiveness is still in me, but I actually enjoy it way more than when I was younger. What was a young Donna Vekic like? Obviously competitive. Were you shy? Were you outgoing? Are you? What's your personality at a young age on the junior tour? No, I was definitely outgoing, I think. I was outgoing. And I remember when I was a junior, when I was like maybe 10, 11 years old, I was fluent in Spanish because I was watching these Spanish telenovelas on TV and we had <laughs> we had subtitles and that's how I became fluent in Spanish. So I was talking Spanish with Spanish players on tour. And now I would not be able to talk like one sentence, but I, I remember that from my junior days and I'm sad I didn't keep up with that. Hey, you know, I think you speak like four languages, so it's okay. You know, it's fine. <laughs> I think we'll work on Spanish afterwards. You were such a great player, especially in juniors. I mean, you, you turned pro at a young age as well. Did you know that pro tennis was, I mean, when you're playing juniors, did you know this is exactly what your destiny was? I mean, did you feel like during your junior days, you were definitely going to try and be a professional? Was it always in your, in your kind of your mind? Yeah, it, it definitely was. And I stopped playing juniors pretty young. Already when I was 16, I played my last. I just turned 16 and I played my last junior slam because when I started playing pro, I completely lost interest in uh, in juniors. And yeah, at 16, I was top 100 in WTA. So I was like, okay, I couldn't care less about juniors. So yeah. I was just focusing on the pro tournaments and the other time training. Well, this leads to our second topic today, and that's the influence that some of the great Croatian tennis players before you, like Goran Ivanisevic, Eva Maioli, and most recently Marin Cilic, all Grand Slam champions, not to mention some of my favorite players like Mirjana Lucic-Peroni and Borna Cioric, and I'll count Yelena Dokic here too. When you have great champion names like that, Donna, a lot of your fans wrote in and wondered, what influence did their success have on your early career? Absolutely. I was really close with Eva Maioli when I was younger and she invited me to Fed Cup when I was like 14 years old and yeah. 
you know, just being around her was was really great. She had a lot of experience, could give me great advice. And I mean, we're still, she's still our Fed Cup captain. We're still really close. It's uh, it's great. And with Goran and with Marin, I think also even Ljubicic, people don't realize how Mario Ancic, people don't realize how we're such a small country and we have so many great athletes, not just in tennis, but in yeah. all kinds of sports. Oh, for sure. I mean, Carolina Sprem, so many. I mean, uh, you know, yeah. Petra Martrich today, I mean, it's a, it's a rich history of tennis in your country. I know you've just mentioned playing Billie Jean King Cup under captain Eva Maioli. I loved watching her play. I was such an Eva Maioli fan. I mean, uh, it was her game. <laughs> she seemed so fun. She looked like she was a blast to hang out with. Is she fun to hang out with? Yes, yes, she's really fun. I mean, I will say my very favorite WTA photo of all time is Eva Maioli and Jennifer Capriati dancing in a bar somewhere, dripping in sweat, having the time of their life. They could care less who's taking this photo, but that's who I want kind of being my captain. You know, that's who I want, someone who's kind of watching my career. You have a fan on Tennis Forum, Libertango, who wants to know, Donna, how important was your friendship with Eva as a professional? Was it cool to have someone that had won a Grand Slam and that had been there to kind of mentor you and get you to the level that you're at today? Yeah, I mean, of course, that was, you know, especially when I was when I was really young, it was, it was amazing. She was always there giving great advice. But I have to say also when um, I was young, I spent a bit of time in Florida with Chrissy Everett oh. at her academy. And she was definitely an idol for me. I always looked up to her and she's super friendly. I absolutely love her. I also worked with her brother, with John, for a couple of months and they're like family to me. So to be able to talk with her and share some experiences with her was uh, pretty amazing. Oh my gosh. I was just down. I was watching actually a, a player train with John as well. So cool. He's so nice. That whole family is like, Chris Everett was just on the show. I love, I love that. Such a cool facility. I love it. I love it down there in Boca. Well, your fan on Instagram at 21 November, 2013 in Munich, Germany. He says, kudos to you, Donna, for giving back to your home city in Osiak. It's Osiak. Yeah. Did I do okay? Osiak. Osiak. Not bad. Osiak. Yeah. Osiak. and creating the very first free public tennis courts in your hometown. It's quite special that you've been able to give back to your, like we we just talked about, you know, Croatian tennis is living on really through you a little bit because you're helping kind of propel the next generation of players that maybe there's a little baby Donna out there, maybe a little baby Madonna who's just, you know, waiting to kind of come up to the tour, you know, you have no idea, but um, kudos to you. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, I'm definitely very proud of that. And it's not really about, okay, maybe, yeah, they will want eventually to go professional and play on the tour. But, you know, it's just to give everyone an opportunity to play tennis and to maybe, you know, fall in love with it like I did and just to enjoy and play a sport to, you know, get moving and be healthy. Yeah. And I heard maybe a tournament one day. Who knows? You know, we'll see. Yeah, hopefully. (laughs) We're on to the next topic. I'd love to go back to your early years on tour. Let's start at the very beginning of your pro career. How would you describe those early years playing ITF tennis? I know you were so young, you're 16, you're already, you know, crushing tournaments at a young age. What was that like for you as a young kid? I went to some strange places. Let me tell you that. Um, Oh, I've seen. Yeah. (laughs) You you know, you're everywhere. Everywhere where there's not really tennis. I've seen you're in Uzbekistan, you're in Nigeria, you're in India, you're everywhere, you know? Yeah, which was really cool experience at the same time, because, you know, getting to see those countries, meeting people, seeing different cultures, it was very, it was very interesting. And, you know, it was a good experience. And, okay, you, when you're younger, you go there to kind of get easy points, they say, but it's actually a lot harder, I would say, than, uh, for example, if you stayed in Europe. But it was a, yeah, it was a good experience. 
but I don't eat Indian food. <laughs> oh, well, okay. Well, that's going to be, <laughs> that's going to be hard to travel if you're not eating curry or any kind of Indian food. Okay. All right. What else don't you eat, by the way? Is there anything else? I no, that's no, that's the only thing I don't eat. I, that's it. Okay. Well, <laughs> okay. that's okay. Acquired taste. I'm a little bit traumatized from my junior days. <laughs> Well, I mean, obviously they weren't easy points, but the points helped you get into your first U.S. Open qualifying in 2012, where you beat Karolina Pliskova, by the way, if you remember that match in qualifying. I don't know. It's been a long time, but still, that's that was a good run for you. That was, that was probably the last time I beat her. <laughs> <laughs> it would be your next event, though in Tashkent, Uzbekistan in 2012 that would get the tennis world to start taking notice. You'd come through qualifying in Tashkent to make the main draw in your very first tour level event, and you'd end up making it all the way to the finals. What do you remember from that first week in Tashkent? I know that's uh, it's a while ago, but I mean, come on, that's your first big splash on tour. I remember everything. It was, <laughs> I played qualies. So I played three matches in qualies, five matches in main draw. I was so tired. I was so, so, I had pain everywhere. I had tape everywhere. I was like falling apart, but it was, uh, yeah, it was a great week. It was a great week. <laughs> uh, I know I lost to Bego in the final. I, I don't know who I beat along the way. You beat some good names, but I wondered, you know, as 16, are you feeling pressure right now? I mean, you're getting to a big tournament or at least a tour level event at 16. Are you feeling pressure after this? I mean, the transition from from Tashkent to, you know, we're going to skip ahead in a couple of years, you know, to Kuala Lumpur in a second. But in that time period, you're developing your game. You're feeling, you know, where Donna Vekic belongs on tour. I mean, did you feel pressure at a young age to be the next, you know, maybe Eva or or Carolina Sprem? Yeah, it was it was horrible. <laughs> yeah, there was okay. There was pressure from the outside, but then the, I think the worst pressure was the pressure I was putting on myself because I was like, okay, I made the final now. Yeah. Why wouldn't I be making finals every week? And you know, then okay, I beat this player. I should beat this player. Yeah. There's no way I can lose to this player. So it was just yeah, a lot of pressure coming from myself, and then okay, of course from from everyone else, but. Um, that was that was not not fun and that's why i think okay i would make the final and then i wouldn't win any matches i would lose all the first rounds then i would make finals again and it was it was like that for for a couple of years for sure i had, didn't have any consistency well let's kind of move forward a little bit because i mean those few years where you'd prove to have some great building blocks in developing your game and by 2014 you were ready to start beating some of the best names in the sport. So let's go on to topic four and let's take a time machine back to 2014. And I love a tennis time machine. So 2014, it seems like forever ago, you had Conchita Worst winning Eurovision. You had <laughs> Kanye and Kim getting married that year. Remember the ice bucket challenge? That was 2014. That was invented. Everyone was throwing cold water on ourselves. But more importantly in your life, Donna, you were kind of getting that consistency that you were talking about and you'd win your very first WTA singles title. The Miami event that year, we'll start there. It was the first big win of your career. It was against Svetlana Kuznetsova in that second round. And you kept going. And the very next event, you'd play in Monterey and you'd beat Garbin Muguruza. And you were playing the best tennis of your career at that point. But it would be the next tournament that would prove to be even more eventful in Kuala Lumpur. So I'd love to talk about your week in Malaysia. You just mentioned that, uh, you know, you had that struggle from Tashkent in those couple of years to find consistency. What did that feel like then in Malaysia when you're kind of realizing, oh my gosh, I can do this? 
I was supposed to lose first round in Malaysia and I got saved by the rain. I was losing, I think, a set and a break and it rained like crazy. It rained every day there. And we had like a, a break for an hour, two hours and I came back and I was playing so much better. So got saved by the rain and then I was just playing better and better each match. And then, oh my God, that final, it was crazy. I think I was up like... 5-1 or 5-love in third set. Oh, my God. And then all of a sudden, it's tiebreak. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. And then somehow I won. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was crazy. It's destiny. I mean. And we also, I think we also had rain delay in the match. And I was like, shit, we're not going to make our flight. <laughs> I love that's what you're thinking about on court. That's so funny. Tennis players have those random thoughts all the time. I just love it. You're like, oh no. But honestly, I mean, it was dramatic. That was a dramatic third. I mean, seven, six in the third against Dominika Sibulkova, who you know is going to go the whole way. You know, she's never going to give up. And that's one of those matches where you're just like, you know, I'm going to do this. And you did it. You want, she was top 10 in the world. It was your first top 10 victory too. I guess, yeah, it was my third final. And I was all like, oh God, I was a little bit traumatized from the, the two finals before. I was like, okay, I have to win this one. I have to win this one. <laughs> and then it was like a big, big relief after. And you did. And you definitely did. Well, in 2017, after a few more years on tour, you'd win your second title in Nottingham on grass. Another great final, by the way, beating Joanna Kanta from a set down. And this time it was 7-5 in the third. You were kind of giving your fans a little less drama. You know, you went all, you had to go to 7-5 instead of 7-6 in the third this time. Your semifinal, though, against Lucy Safarova, another 7-6 in the third. You know, so you definitely love to win in dramatic fashion. I love that about you. That's what's fun to watch about a Donna Vekic match. You thrive in those matches. Since it had been a few years winning in Kuala Lumpur, did that title in Nottingham feel any different? Because your game is so suited for grass. But I mean, it's such a different tournament. I love Nottingham. I love the court. I love the crowd. It's such a cute little tournament. And that tournament, like I had a great five matches and I was playing really good against Lucy was such a tough match. And then against Joe, it, it was crazy. But I always enjoy going back there every year, even though like I think I played the year after and it rained. I didn't get on grass until like semifinals. We played first three matches indoors <laughs> on hard. Like, yeah, great. This is a great prep for Wimbledon. <laughs> um, but still always make the most of my time there. Oh, for sure. You'd actually play Wimbledon that same year and you'd play against Conta in the second round. It was such a high quality match. That one didn't go your way. It was 10-8 in the third. Another dramatic match for you. And it was that rematch of that Nottingham final. That's probably one of my favorite matches I've ever played. Even though I lost, it has to be one of my favorite matches I've ever played. The atmosphere was crazy. We were playing on center court. It was so hot. The weather was amazing and it just doesn't doesn't get better than that in tennis. No, I love that match. Would you have traded that Nottingham final for that second round win at Wimbledon? Uh, no. Yeah, let's take title two, right? Yeah, okay, that's good. Yeah, because I would trade, because I lost, I think it was a couple of finals after that. I lost one final in Washington to Kuznetsova and I had match points and uh, that was the toughest loss ever. I would trade a lot of Grand Slam wins for that match because a title, it's different. It's God, it took me forever to get over that. I was crying. I was walking around crying for five days. Oh. <laughs> like, properly heartbroken. Oh my gosh. Well, we're going to talk about that in a second too. But uh, I mean, you played Conta also in the fourth round of the French in 2019. You had some great wins to get there that year too. You beat Samsonova and Benchich that year. That, that was another great run for you. It seemed like you had a really nice rivalry with Joe. I know she just retired. It was pretty even. 
Was there anyone else on tour that you don't love playing? I wondered, I mean, is there anybody you kind of look at the draw and say, okay, I hope she's on the opposite side of the draw? God, I lost to Pliskova four times last year. So I would say her <laughs> for sure. Okay, let's pick Pliskova. <laughs> <laughs> I would say her. And then... Oh, okay. All right, that's fair. You know, I was I lost to Sevastova for about five times before I finally beat her. And I beat her, I think, first round in Adelaide was like the most irrelevant match ever. But for me, it was like as big as winning a title, I swear. And you like celebrated the whole way. Oh my God. I mean, what a weird game she has though. It's such a strange game though. She's so, she's so tricky to play. So tricky. Yeah, no. And your yeah. game is so classic and straightforward. And it's just like, oh no, I don't like that matchup. That's a terror. <laughs> I hate that one too. I feel like I play so clean. I make everyone play good. <laughs> Whereas she plays so tricky. She just makes you play bad. <laughs> no, I know. I get it. I know. That's what people say. It's like, uh, we had Lindsay Davenport on the show and she said the same thing. She's like, you know, I had a very nice even ball. And I always felt like people were always just like playing their best against me. I was just, you know, that's a, that's a compliment, Donna Vekic. That's a compliment. <laughs> Your fan, I know you just mentioned that Kuznetsova match, so I just want to talk about it for one second. Your fan in Chicago, Illinois, Zedvravko Korich, writes in to ask. He says, as a fan, I had a lot of feelings about that 10-8 Wimbledon loss to Joe. How do you typically deal with losses in your career? I think that's a good question because you just mentioned it. Are you the player that likes to analyze after matches or do you just try and forget about them? Obviously, I know that some are more affecting than others and that, that Kuznetsova match, it took a couple of days to kind of get over, which is understandable. I mean, of course, we, we always analyze and talk about the match, but I don't like to think about it too much because honestly, it's it's too painful. Mm. But sometimes you it's good to feel that pain. Um, <laughs> you you have to, in order to, to improve, it motivates you to get back on the court and practice harder to be like, okay, I don't want that to happen again. So there are some losses that are more painful than others, but I think that was probably the worst and I lost to Garcia one time in Rome 7-6 in the third oh, that was that was a tough one as well and to Carolina Tiskova in uh, where was it in Montreal just last year 7-6 in the third oh god after those kind of matches you just want to you know go to your room yep. order a Nutella pizza and a bottle of wine and just not see anyone yeah no I wondered I mean do you need a minute to cool down after those I mean can I talk to you after a match or do you need some alone time I like the wine time. I, I'm into the wine time. No, no. I need some alone time. Yeah. And then I need some alone. I'm a between. I need alone time. And then I need to be with my team because if I'm alone, I'm just like, I, I want to kill myself. Yeah, no, I get it. It's so <laughs> intense. I mean, as an athlete who's at the top of her game in the world, you're losing, I mean, seven, six in the third. I mean, probably feels worse than six love, six love. At least that's embarrassing. And you're like, okay, I played shit and that's it. And, you know, I'm going to play better next time. But like seven, six in the third is I have chills right now thinking of all the matches that of how history has gone with that, that tie break in the third that could have just changed momentum of history. And yeah, you're right. I get it. Yeah, I get it. Well, the good thing is, is that if you're alone, Donna, you know what kind of relieves stress and helps people relax when they're alone? Candles, right? <laughs> Candles. <laughs> 100%. I want to jump back into this tennis time machine. I want to leave 2014 and 17 because I want to come back to present day and talk about something that I know you're excited about. And I'm hoping, Donna, if this topic goes well today, I might just get a fancy new present of my own today. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> so I want to talk about your new baby, DNNA. You've officially launched your luxury candle and fragrance line, which you can find on your online store at www.dnna.eu. And your fans want to smell all about it. So <laughs> your fans want to smell all about it, Donna. <laughs> Where did you get this idea from? Come on. This is such a cool idea. 
literally from having candles with me the whole time, buying them. After seven, six in the third matches, right? You just light the candle <laughs> and you're like, this is... <laughs> You know, we spend so much time traveling and being in a, in a hotel every single week. We literally live in, in a hotel. And I think a candle, it lights up a home and makes a home smell good. But you can imagine what it does to a hotel room. It makes it feel a little bit more homey, a little bit more relaxing. And okay, it has to smell good, of course. <laughs> yeah. No, your life on the road is important. This is your life. I get that you want to make it a little more home. Like, what are your best sellers right now? I mean, your website is so awesome. What are your personal favorites? Oh, my personal favorite is mango and vanilla and bergamot patchouli, but amber and CBD is really good as well. <laughs> They're obviously all good. But yeah, we when we did the testing for the scent, it was crazy because you know, there were so many. And in the end, after a while, they all smelled the same. So it took a couple of days, but we made sure that they were all the best. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love, I mean, you have a wild mint and mimosa. There's a champagne and strawberries. I like the alcohol scents. Yeah, I'll go there. I'm going to go. That's what I'm going to get. <laughs> a fan on Instagram, Tanner Tennis 88 asks, when can we buy your candles in the U.S.? And have you thought about specialty candles in honor of your three tournament wins? That's an interesting idea. I'm thinking maybe Kuala Lumpur would be like a jungle mist kind of smell, but I don't know what Nottingham would smell like. Maybe like an indoor tennis court, like an indoor <laughs> hard court or like. Nottingham smells like grass. Yeah. Nottingham smells like strawberry and champagne. Strawberry and champagne is actually dedicated to Wimbledon. I mean, amazing. But you can you can buy candles in US already. We ship worldwide, and that's actually that's actually a pretty good idea to name them after the tournaments. But the thing is, I don't want it to be super related to tennis. Of course, tennis is my life, but this is something I want to continue to do after tennis. So I want it to be not really related to to tennis. Well, it is kind of related to you because your bottles are so chic and so high-end. It's a, such a high-end product, just like you. Classy Donna Vekic. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, they're hand-blown Murano glass made in France. They're super fancy, Donna. They're very, very fancy. And the candles are 100% beeswax too, which I saw. And there's a video of you on the website and you're extracting honey from, there's probably, you're dressed in your beekeeper outfit and there's probably 2 million bees swarming all around you. And you have this beautiful smile on underneath, but it's only like for like two seconds because I'm picturing the pee running down your leg because you're so scared. From... <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, you were, you were in it. I get it. I like that you're like immersed in the product. I thought that was fun. <laughs> That was a crazy experience, but it was uh, it was super cool. And yeah, the smile was definitely just for the picture. After that, I was like screaming and I was like, oh my God, but it was okay, good. It was it was really cool. And actually, I'm a big fan of bees in general. So it's it's really cool. And beeswax is is so healthy, it's so good for you. It actually cleans the air. A lot of the brands of candles with their actually not not healthy for you they're not good for you not good for the animals so we wanted to make them smell good and be good for you at the same time so i love them your fan in perth australia hannah moore asks which players on tour have you given your candles to i've given to my friends yeah just just to my friends yeah they they all really uh all really enjoy them Okay. Well, we'll see. We have a couple more topics today. This is a perfect transition to our next topic because you had so many fans write in to ask questions about those close friendships. You didn't want to name the players, but we're going to name them right now because you have some really great friendships on tour with Belinda Bencic, Maria Sakari, and Isla Tomjanovic. So instead of me just asking you how you all became friends, I thought we could play a quick game of B-E-S-T friends. I'm going to ask you a question, Donna, and you're going to respond with the friend that best fits the description you're either going to say a B for Benchich, 
an E for everyone, an S for Sakari, or a T for Tomjanovic, B-E-S-T. It's a very simple game. We're going to see how this goes today. <laughs> okay, all right. Here's your first question. All right, Donna. Okay. Which of your three besties would you say brings the jokes? Who's the funniest in your crew, either on court or off court? E. Oh, every, they're all funny. Oh, is this? They're all funny. Uh, you can't pick E for everybody today. I love it though. We'll start with <laughs> E. That's a good one. All right. A fan on Twitter, HawkeyeWTA3 wants to know, which of the three have purchased the most candles? Who's your candle fan? I think, hmm, I think Belinda and Maria prefer it a little bit more than Isla. She doesn't, yeah, she's not really. Okay. In, All right, there you go. She likes candles, but she's not that that much into it. I love that she would say that to you too. How do you even know that? I mean, that's just <laughs> like, I love your candles, but I don't. No, because I know her. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Donna, you get a collect phone call from the police station and it's one of your friends needing you to come bail her out of jail. Which of the three would you guess is calling you? But it could be something like, I don't know, maybe she was jaywalking. Maybe she stole a rainbow. I'm sure it's something just very innocent, though. You know, nothing bad. Um, maybe Belinda? <laughs> Belinda Benchich, are you listening? You're... <laughs> Belinda, come on. Oh, I love it. Um, who is most likely to play until they're 40? Who's going to have a long career, you think? Mm. Maria? Maria. Yeah, she's fit. She could just keep playing, right? I love it. She can be. She I has. mean, are you going to play until your mid-30s like Serena and, and Venus and Kim? No, I don't think so. No, no. <laughs> okay. You started so young, though. I mean, again, it feels probably like it's already been 40 years, probably. Yeah. <laughs> All right, last one. Which of the three knows the most secrets about you? Who's your secret keeper of the three? I don't know. I think Isla. Isla. Well, there we go. Isla. We'll keep our secrets close to your heart, though. So good job. Thank you so much. <laughs> we have three fan questions, Donna, that I had to answer because these are your biggest fans from all over the world. So this will be just a quick one. Number one, Jonathan on Tennis Forum wants to know Severina or Petar Grasso? I guess these are singers in Croatia. I don't know. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, there we go. Number two, <laughs> your fan Anthony EH on Facebook wrote in and asked, what kind of sunscreen do you use? He said your skin is flawless. He wants to know. Thank you. I use a couple. I have Biologique Recherche. I have Clarence and I have the Supergroup. There we go. All right. All right. That's what's going to keep her young for the next 30 years on tour. To piggyback on that, you had another fan on Tennis Forum, Opionic. He wrote in and said, I noticed you wear long sleeves a lot on court even in the blistering sun and in Tokyo as well, which was like crazy hot. I mean, should I be doing this too? I mean, should we all be wearing long sleeves like Donna Vekic? Is this to keep your skin looking so amazing? It is. It has a lot to do with my skin, but also, I don't know. I, I didn't wear it in Tokyo. Tokyo was crazy, crazy hot. But even if it's hot outside, even if it's, I'm always cold. So that's why sometimes I also like to wear, especially if we're playing in the evening match. Yeah. There we go. All right. Our last one in this round, GraphGoat46 on Twitter says, your 2019 season was a memorable one for you, getting to the top 20 for the first time and making your first Grand Slam quarterfinal. What do you consider has been the best win of your career? Hmm. Best win of my career. Well, I mean, I will say Tokyo 2018. No, if you say Tokyo, I beat Sabalenka in second round. So that was, that was a pretty good win. But probably the fourth round in US Open against Gergas, I was I saved match points and it was making my first quarterfinal. So at the, at the slam, so that was pretty a pretty good match. 
Such a good match. Your Tokyo 2018, you beat two players in the top 10 too in that tournament. You beat Sloane Stevens and, and Garcia, who was number four in the world at the time. Amazing. Then you beat Conta as well, a rival of yours. And then, yeah, we lost to Pliskova. I mean, we're just going to just eliminate Pliskova. We don't want you to play Pliskova anymore. That's... <laughs> But you've beaten so many great players. You've beaten Vika Zarenka and Ani Ivanovic and, and that Sharapova match. We have to talk about that. I read Sharapova's first Wimbledon run inspired you. Was that an emotional match for you in Australia, beating Sharapova in that match? I mean, do you remember what she said to you at the net? Um, she said, she didn't say much. She said a great match, but I, I definitely didn't want to see her retire. I'm very sad that that was actually her last match. But what I remember from that is I remember we practiced together in the off-season here in the, in Monaco, actually. And she killed me 6-1. So before the match, I was like, oh, God, please, God, just don't let her kill me. And then when I won, I was like, Oh my God, I <laughs> just beat Maria. So that was a, that was a pretty big win for me. Yeah. Were you surprised that she retired after that? Was that pretty much like, do you know that you're the last person that ever beat Maria Sharapova? I know that I am, but I know also that she was struggling for quite a while with her shoulder. So it's, uh, it's very, very unfortunate that she couldn't get that better in the end, but you know, she had such an amazing career and she can just enjoy life now. All right, Donna, we're going on to our last topic today. It's about your 2021 season. You started with a bang by making the fourth round in Australia. And then poof, we don't see you again until the French Open. That knee surgery sidelined you for most of the year last year. Was that something that had been nagging you for some time or did it affect you mostly in Australia? Or was this planned? No, it happened actually in Australia after already it happened exactly in the first match at like 2-1 in the first set. I was like, oh my God, I won't be able to finish this match. And here we are four matches later. I'm going out. I, I will never forget this. We came on side. I was supposed to play Jenny Brady. We came on side and I got out of the car from transportation and I couldn't straighten my leg. I had to like sit down next to on the chair like just outside the car because I couldn't walk because <laughs> I had like this little pieces in my knee moving around so I had to like move my knee around a little bit so that I could get up and walk out oh. Like, oh my god this is not happening obviously at the, at the time I didn't know how bad it was or what was wrong with it but I did an MRI after and it was yeah it was pretty clear I had to do surgery and it was yeah it was just a, a tough tough period and no, actually the knee is still bothering me a little bit so it's um i mean how, how scary is that as a professional i yeah. mean you've been playing for so long i mean if you feel it you're just like something's wrong i just know something's wrong you know your body more than anybody were you scared this could be career ending at that point um no i didn't think it would be career ending i didn't at the time especially at the time of the surgery i didn't realize how long it will actually take me to get back and i didn't realize how tough i thought oh this is gonna be fine you know i'm just gonna mm-hmm have a couple of weeks off. It's not, it's not even that bad. Everyone's still in bubbles. So like if I'm ever injured, it's now. But then it was, yeah, it was, it was horrible at home. Yeah. It was, it was rushed extremely to get ready for French. Um, yeah. The, the doctor didn't think I would play until summer, but yeah, I tried, I did everything possible to play and maybe it would have been better if I'd taken more time, but it is what it is. We learn from our mistakes and yeah. Yeah. Well, it was a great end to 2021 for you. We mentioned the Tokyo match against, you beat uh, Sabalenka and Garcia in Tokyo at the Olympics. I'm sure very cool experience. I mean, eh, maybe not your typical Olympics that you had hoped and dreamed. I hope you got to watch some other matches or at least at least some other sports. But, you know, after that, you had some tough matches in the fall and you ended your year in Italy, winning the third WT title of your career, beating the new Danish sensation, Clara Tossen, in the final. I know we've spoken about 
your first two titles, but with having taken all that time off and the severity of that knee, did your title in Italy give you that push and confidence to know that you're still one of the best players in the world? Uh, yeah, that definitely gave me, well, I had definitely a couple of tough draws since uh, when I came back after, you know, from all coming from all the slams, I played Carolina three times. And then that match against Garbinia in, in US Open, it was a great match, but I lost 7-6, 7-6. So at the end of the day, you lose first round. So it was, you know, really, really rocked my confidence. And I was like, I had pain. I like, I'm trying, I'm training. I can't really train properly. Everything is going wrong. And then I wasn't really enjoying. I actually wanted to finish my season after US Open. But my team was like, okay, let's play a couple more tournaments. You, you never know what's going to happen in tennis. And, you know, it's really like that. You, it can turn for you at any point, at any week, any tournament. So for me to finish the year like that in Cormier, it was great because actually already the week before in Tenerife, I was playing better and I was starting to to enjoy it again. Oh, I love it. I loved it as a fan. I mean, you shocked everybody. Here's Donna Vekic again, winning this title. How'd you celebrate, Donna? Did you go out? What are you drinking? What's the Donna Vekic cocktail? Oh my God. Is it champagne? You look like you're drinking champagne. <laughs> I drink too much champagne for my birthday. <laughs> so now I, yes. I have, more. I, I have yes. a glass or two, but <laughs> <laughs> that's my maximum. I drink either gin and tonic or wine. Okay. I like rosé a lot in the summer as well. That's You're my kind of girl, Donna. <laughs> uh, but we actually, it was Halloween and there was this bar in Cormier that was open. Cormier is a ski place, right? There was like not many people. So it was just like the locals and the people from the tournament, they organized everything and we had so much fun. It was a great night. <laughs> <laughs> Gin and tonics on Donna. Let's do it. <laughs> Everybody. Oh my gosh. Well, all right. Last question today. Donna, you've been through so much in your career from your surgery to coaching changes to social media to Nick Kyrgios disrespecting you. We talk a lot about social media too. I know there's a lot, you know, that that goes on and social media has been such a big topic and, you know, mental health as well. And, and I wonder how social media has affected your tennis. Um, oh, tough question, but I try not to let the social media affect me too much. Okay. We get this, all these messages after we lose them. It's crazy, but you have to think these are just people who are gambling and betting on, on tennis and then they're just pissed when you lose. And yeah, it's it's not fair, but it happens. You just have to try to just to ignore it, I would say. But yeah, there was a lot of coaching changes, all the all the other stuff. But yeah. I was lucky that I had family behind me supporting me. Definitely wouldn't be able to do it without them. And also really great couple of friends. If we had to kind of put a ribbon on the past 10 years, the hardest thing about being a professional tennis player has been what for you? I would say the sur the surgery is, is is probably the worst and you know, being injured because it was also my my first big injury. I was I was lucky enough to never be injured before. Yeah. So definitely that. But you know, during the year there's so many ups and downs. I think the roller coaster that the tennis life is, I think that's the that's the hardest part. It's not like one just one thing. It's just every week you're losing. I mean most weeks you're losing. You if you're lucky enough to have a title or two or three during the year, that's a you had like an amazing year, but all the other 20 tournaments you lost. So the emotional ro roller coaster is, uh, I would say, the, the toughest part. Well, some people take lemons and make lemonade and you take champagne and strawberries and you make candles. So congrats on a very successful past 10 years on tour. I can't thank the most famous Donna that I know for joining today. You can follow her journey all season long on the WTA tour. 
Our guest today can be found on Instagram and Twitter at Donna Vekic. And don't forget to check out the amazing online store, Fragrances and Candles, by visiting www.dnna.eu. And I must say, after you buy a candle or two, go to Donna's actual website, www.donnavekic.com for a comprehensive and updated catalog of matches, inside information, and upcoming tournaments. Donna, thank you so much. We'll be cheering for you all season long. Positive vibes and lots of wild mint and mimosa candles to you. I hope you have a great year. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> and while you're on Instagram or Twitter, shoot me a message at John Garica and let me know who you're a big fan of and who you'd like to hear on an upcoming show. Also, don't forget to follow us at Fantastic Tennis Pod or on Twitter at Fan Tennis Pod. And if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, I'd love and appreciate a great review to help us keep this show on the air. My name is John Garica, and thank you for listening. This has been fantastic. <laughs>